So first, I need you to take out some of the resources that we have talked about previously. I need them to be found out in a gorgeous informational rainbow in front of your beautiful face, right? So the pieces of paper that I need you to take out, well, are first your graphic organizer if you have it on paper. And if you did it digitally, that's cool, but take out the paper copy that I gave you because we're going to reference that today, right? Then I need you to take out... Your quote sandwich paper will be a fun little tour through your binder. Quote sandwich paper. Then I need you to take out This green paper that says general outline for research paper number two and on the back of it has the rubric for research paper number two. Andrew, where your papers be? There, I have like two copies left, so I beg to differ, my dear. You know what I'm saying? Which means that everybody took it is what is my point. Um, let's see. And then also while you're at it, take out this pinkety pink paper. Giant overview of all the things. Okay, so today you should have turned in your annotated bibliography. We're not going to talk about her anymore. She's old news, yeah? But one thing that's really important for you to understand fundamentally, like purpose-wise, is the annotated, the annotated bibliography serves a per certain purpose for your reader. It helps them understand the credibility of your sources, the background of your sources. So... If you hadn't done an annotated bibliography for this paper, how would it change the way that you're introducing sources? That's a question. So like, if you hadn't done an annotated bib, how would you be introducing each of your eight sources in your paper, like in the actual paragraphs? Yeah? Would be like, like discussing like why there's So if you hadn't done an annotated bib, you would need to briefly give pretty much every piece of information in your annotation in the actual body of the text. Why would that pose a problem for a paper of this length? Think about that. Why would talking about the background of the author, the type of text, whether or not it's credible, the summary of the text, why would all of that pose a problem with a paper of this length? Think about logistically. Yeah. Exactly, right? So when we have a paper that's this big fat mama-ish, right? The annotated bib, yeah, it serves a purpose as we're justifying our sources, but really it also declutters our research in essence, right? Because now that you have done an annotated bib, how does that change the way that you introduce your sources in your paper? 
it's really important that you fundamentally understand this. <laughs> so how does it change the way? Yeah. Yeah. So the introduction, like the formality and the like level of respect and like due diligence that you have to do is reduced greatly. Not because you don't have to do it, but because you already have done it. And in essence, an annotated bib is not a separate assignment from a research paper. It accompanies a research paper. Do you see what I'm saying? So if somebody's really looking deeply into your research, they would read the annotated bib before they even read your paper so that you've already introduced your sources essentially. Does that make sense? So you understand if you don't have an annotated bib, your obligation to treat these sources becomes higher, right, within your writing. But now all you have to do to introduce each of your sources is, as Aiden said, first time you mention the source, full name of the source, full name of the author or authors, if there are two or one author, and then the first name of the author at all, if there are three or more. Then you also need to give a brief summary of the source, but you don't need to talk about the credibility. You don't need to talk about where it came from, the outlet. You don't need to talk about, uh, you know, explain how it creates a counterclaim or blah, blah, blah. It, that should flow within itself. So by doing the annotated bib, you're actually making your research more straightforward. So far, so good? Okay. So. That's just important background as we move into reminding you what the requirements are for this paper. And keep in mind that this paper is kind of what we've been building toward even from the beginning of 1010. How do you deal with sources? How do you structure sources to create an argument? How do you cover all sides of a situation? And then how do you, in a scholarly way, come to a conclusion that's not biased because it's supported by scholarly research? Do we see our point here? This is this is the culmination of everything that you've worked toward. Yeah? No pressure. <laughs> it's fine. Um, okay, so let's review what research paper two must be. So first, it again, this is this research paper two is 20% of your grade. It should be a culminating assessment in the way that everything you've turned in up to now is supposed to have trained your writing skills to this point. So this is where your best, most gorgeous college level writing should come into play. I shouldn't be talking to you about annotated verbs or transition words and phrases. I shouldn't be talking to you. I should never have to mention grammar, spelling, punctuation, right? The baseline for college level writing is a given for this assignment. Do we understand that? If I'm making markings on your paper that belong in 1010 and it's mistakes that you've made over and over and over again, I'm not going to be generous because you should know by now and I've taught you well enough. I know that I've been here, right? So it's going to be, you're going to have enough time to write this paper and you've essentially already written it. I mean, you've outlined it. You know exactly how the paper is going to flow. You literally just need to put the pieces of the puzzle together with words, right? So it's really not going to be as difficult as you think because I forced you to do all the hard work up until now. So now you really do get to concentrate not on your sources, not on the quotes that you're pulling, but just on the writing itself, the college level writing itself. So far so good? Welcome and hello. Um, this, pa this paper is required to be 8 to 10 pages in length. I'll be flabbergasted if you struggle with that 8 page limit. If you follow the outline that I've given you, you're going to struggle to keep it with under 12 pages, honestly, right? But keep in mind that that page minimum 
is set by Weber State, and if you fall under that minimum, I can't grade the assignment, right? It's a basic minimum page length, and that doesn't include your references page or your uh, title page. Speaking of, though, um, essentially you've already turned in your annotated bib, so it's been published with the university, right? So with your research paper, should you submit it with a references page at the end or an annotated bibliography at the end? What do you think? References page at the end. We don't need your annotated bibliography again, right? In like grad school, when you submit everything as your graduate thesis, that's when you turn it in altogether. But for the most part, your first four years of college, you're not you're going to be submitting them separately or even just independently, not doing the other piece, right? Um, so it needs your your paper needs to answer your approved research question, the topic that I approved, and the question the direction of the research that I approved way, way back in the olden days. Remember the ye old olden days? It needs to be supported by eight varied credible sources and Weber State has dictated what types of sources those are. But again, I've put a lot of checks and balances into place to ensure that that's not gonna be an issue. So half of the rubric, I've already forced you to comply with, right? So we're looking at a 50% minimum if you've done what I've asked you to do. So far so good? What's important to remember is that from here on out, your professors will say, I need an eight-page paper on this topic in APA, and that's all they will say, period. They'll give you a due date, and that is the last of the conversation. So there's not going to be any of this cutesy, like, fill out this information about your sources, work backward from the due date, and complete it in pieces, have somebody peer review it, right? That, what I have done for you step by step, piece by piece, day by day, you have to then go and do for yourself independently moving forward. This is the last time that a teacher is gonna hold your hand like this, okay? The last time, so as we go through this, think, instead of thinking about, man, I don't wanna write this, this is so hard, think about what is Hernandez doing to break this process down to make it manageable over time? Because essentially you've been writing this paper for two months, over two months, right? So you're going to have to think about all of that in reverse especially for a paper of this length and i mean you could, you'll get to the point where this process is much faster for you i i mean by grad school i could get an a on a 30 page paper that i wrote in a night not because i bs'd it but because i could complete all those steps very quickly right because i had had enough practice i don't recommend the 30 page paper i don't think many people could do that but that was just my personal gift Okay, so don't ever leave it to that, but just know that you will need to deconstruct the process that I've taken you through. You will need to do it yourself, especially when your scholarly sources are required. You're probably gonna be given how many sources it needs to be, sometimes not even how many sources, just a page length, but the general rule of thumb is one formal source per page. So if it's an eight page paper, assume that you need eight formal sources. If it's a 10 page paper, you get it, right? Um, formal academic writing style, carefully formatted in APA, edited multiple times through multiple lenses. I'm going to try to help you with that, but some of you are still struggling with basic college writing, which is okay. Maybe that's not your gift. You're probably going into a field where your basic level of college level writing is going to be celebrated. So great, right? But you do have to get in the habit of if you're not a great writer you should have several different pairs of eyes on your paper before your teacher sees it you're responsible for that right 
If you're awesome at it, you might be able to get away with it. We all have different gifts and that's okay. But you're responsible to make sure that what you bring into peer reviews is your 100% best work so we can take your 100% and turn it into my 100%, right? Okay, obviously virtually free of errors in grammar, style, and formatting. Here's the problem with Grammarly. The sentences that you're creating with those titles of your texts are grammatically com too complex for Grammarly. So there's gonna be things that Grammarly misses. You're gonna ha have to actually meticulously read your work, right? And think about every piece of punctuation that you're incorporating, right? So keep in mind, again, that research paper two itself is 20% of your grade. The presentation of it, though, will do that right after that. You'll create like a, a good old, early 2000s style PowerPoint and you'll present it to a group of your peers in one day you'll peer grade it and we'll move right on right so you're gonna remember that basically this presentation is gonna be taking the structure of your research paper and just shoving it onto slides bullet pointing it and shoving it onto slides that's the basics right so that's not gonna be rough for you um, and then we're moving on to the research paper 3 process and you're gonna be done very quickly like we're gonna you're going to have research paper two written by the end of next week and then the rest is just closing out the class you'll have to find four new sources for your new research paper two of which i'll kind of hand to you but we keep that on the dl and and it's it'll it'll go by real real quick right okay so think about this your paper in terms of the question that i approved for you the question your research question is you know should abortion be legal in the United States? You answer your question, that becomes your thesis. Abortion should be legal in the United States. Great, you're hitting the ground running, right? But never ever should your research question be in your paper. Why should a question never be in your paper? It's informal, it's acknowledging that there's a reader which makes it second person, that's a no-no. Um, remember the annotated bib, you could say me, I, I think, I feel, I did this. No, we're back to formal college writing. Not one time should there be a first person or a second person reference in this. Imagine that you yourself are writing a scholarly journal article because in essence, that's what you're creating. Scholarly journal articles have introductions, headings, a solution section, a conclusion section. You're doing, you're creating your own scholarly journal article in essence, right? So think about that level of, you know, pretentious formality. That's what we're going for, okay? Um, Organize your sources. I've already forced you to do the organization part. So part of Weber State's uh, rubric for this and a, a big part of the grading for this is being able to structure it appropriately. I have found through my years of experience that the structure is the hardest part for students. So that's why I micromanage it like a crazy person because I ensure that if you did what I asked you to do, your structure is on point, right? But just keep in mind that it might not be that easy. You might not be getting this grade of grades on papers in the future if you don't have somebody like me to structure it for you. Your best bet though is to create that own structure for yourself. And it should be similar to what I've given you in the past, right? Um, so you're outlining the differences between the sources, the way that they connect. I've already forced you to do all of that, right? So you're creating headings. I've already forced you to create those headings. I've already even forced you to set up counterclaims within those headings. So you've already written a, a great deal of this paper, right? And then you're gonna think of each heading as a mini argument essay with its own introduction, its own conclusion, and its own like uh, flow through that. You should be able to turn each heading in as its own little paper, right? Each heading then you're gonna create a big fat mama 
introduction and a big fat mama conclusion, not to be confused with the intro and conclusion for each heading. So take out the green paper that has the general outline for the research paper on it. So as you'll see, right, we have a big fat mama introduction, a big fat mama conclusion that's supposed to talk about all the headings together uh, at the beginning and at the end. Andrew, here you go. Right? So that we're going to write last. We're going to write the big fat mama introduction, the big fat mama conclusion last. Because the best way to ensure that your conclusion and your introduction actually encapsulate what you wrote is to write what you wrote before you encapsulate it. Right? So we're, we're going to write the middle of the paper first. Then we're going to tack on the introduction and conclusion at the very end. Okay? So the way that we're writing that as, as it's laid out here is the next time you come to class, you will have written headings one and two completely. I know that sounds crazy, but again, remind yourself that you've already done 50% of the work, if not more. All you're doing is putting the puzzle pieces together that I've forced you to create separately. Yes? So you're going to walk in with headings one and two on paper, print it out. We're going to peer review it just to make sure that you're on the right track before you proceed, right? Make sure that you have your sources correctly formulated, that you have them incorporated correctly, and that you have everything structured appropriately, right? Then you'll add heading number three. We're not going to peer review that. I'm just going to take a look and make sure you're on the right track, right? And then by the end of the week, you'll just add that Big Fat Mama introduction, Big Fat Mama conclusion. So you'll write it all of next week, right? And then we'll peer review it, do a final peer review, and the, fi the, the, the finalized draft is due on the Tuesday after that. So far, so good? We'll create our in-class presentations. We'll have the activity, the peer grading for the presentations. And then here from this day moving forward is research paper three and your final reflection, which they want to be a paper, but we're making it a video because of reality. You know what I mean? Okay, so knowing that that's the process, what I th where I think people get uh, confused about research paper two is like the details and the minutia within the heading, meaning like how do I make these ideas flow within the heading? You understand your different headings, you understand how they fit under your topic. But how do you get those headings to, to be awesome? So I'm going to go through that with you today. So keep in mind each of your little headings. And as you look at your green sheet, you should see this on there. And it's also represented on your big fat mama outline, the white one that's stapled pages. But every heading should have its own introduction. Just think, could I turn this heading in as a full paper and have it work, right? It should have a mini thesis that kind of supports the overall big fat thesis. So if my big fat topic was that the United States should make abortion legal, right? Then maybe my first heading topic are the ethical implications of abortion, right? So uh, my mini thesis would be that it is ethical to offer abortion. So that mini thesis for the heading still supports my big fat heading. Does that make sense? Okay. Then within each heading, you also have to have a conclusion, which is different from your connections. <coughs> so this is where people struggle. <coughs> and this is where I'm going to draw you a little diagram. Okay. So this part that I'm about to tell you is just Beck's best practice. It's not required to do it this way, but I'm telling you that 
this is a great way to do it because it's how I would do it and how I would do it is a great way to do it. That's just the bottom line, right? So if I'm just looking at my heading, right? If I'm writing it, I'm starting with an introduction and in that intro, I'm going to give any background and I'm going to make my mini claim or my mini thesis, right? Then I'm going to introduce source one. And to introduce source one, I'm giving author, title of the article, not the journal, right? Author, title, and mini, mini summary, right? We know that we need one quote from each source. I can choose to put the quote I can make this a quote or I can save my quote to where I'm kind of like doing connections with my ideas later. Wherever you want to put it is fine as long as there's one quote, no more, no less from each source. So far so good? So I'm going to talk about my source and I'm going to talk about the main claim of source one and whenever I have a quote, right? So I might talk about the claim of source one and if I make that my quote, you can, that's what I would do. If I make that my quote, then I have to make sure that within this source, I sandwich the quote. So I need a top bun introducing the quote, the quote itself along with an APA citation, and then an explanation of how it supports my claim for every quote, right? And then I would introduce my counterclaim source. And I would say that's source number two, right? And I would do the same thing, author, title, mini summary, right? And then I would bring a counterclaim quote where in that quote I would introduce it I would give the quote, cite it, and then I would explain carefully the counterclaim and why people might disagree with the thesis, the thesis my claim, right? So everything I'm doing is periodically being tied back into my overall point. I'm not losing the point, right? And then I'm gonna say, you know, I understand why people might think this thing, but really the truth lies in my original claim, which is represented by my third source, right? I understand that people might disagree, but really I'm still right because, right? So, and then I'm going to follow the same exact pattern. I'm going to give myself a quote that kind of brings it home and drops that mic, and then I'm going to sandwich that quote. So that's how I've incorporated my three sources into my heading. I've introduced each source. I've, I've brought a quote in from each source and cited it, but my heading's not done. That's really just the foundation for the heading itself, right? So now that I've introduced the sources, I'm going to go into the higher level thinking part of it, the my own individual thinking for it, and then I'm going to start to talk about the connections. And by connections, I do mean connections and contrasts. A whole paragraph and I would structure each of this as a paragraph you don't have to but I think it makes a lot of sense to do that organizationally right 
So I would structure it as a paragraph, and then I'd make a new paragraph that's, that's pretty solid, and I need to examine at least two specific, that's not a cross, it's a plus, uh, specific uh, connections or contrasts, right? I'm going to talk about each two specific connections or contrasts separately, then I'm going to wrap it up basically kind of quickly restate everything I examined, drop a mic, and move on to my next heading. Does that make sense? So, kind of, sort of? You already know that process, but it really should flow pretty well because all of these pieces you've been required to pull. Now all you got to do is sandwich the pieces and put them together puzzle piece-wise. Yeah? Okay. Then once we write heading number one, heading number two, then heading number three, we'll go over again what your, your conclusion should look like and what that entails. It should be a lot less painless than you're thinking it would be. Titus, will you pull that screen down? I could have done it while I was there, but I just didn't think about it. So there's that. So then you'll write your overall introduction. Once you've written your three headings, then you'll write your overall introduction. And oh, one thing that I forgot about the wrap-up, Titus, will you just do a little quick, quickity, quick, quick. One thing I forgot about the wrap-up is that again, the most important thing that we're doing is going from our wrap-up, tying it back in to our claim. So we're periodically tying everything back in to our claim of our heading, which always ties back in to the big mama claim. Right, so our whole goal is to bring the information, tie it in. Bring the information, tie it in. Bring the information, tie it in. So think of yourself as like crop dusting little mic drops throughout, throughout your paper. Every time you bring in a new idea, make sure it's tied back into your point, right? This is all natural in your brain, but it's kind of hard to think about like the natural progression of ideas when you're writing a big fat paper. So there's that. Writing the body of it, we write our overall introduction. That should just give grandma background information, background information that you didn't cover in your little mini introductions. Conclude offering solutions, why it matters, who it matters to, and you're good, right? We're gonna peer review it and make sure that you have checkpoints along the way that as long as you're on, on the path that I've set you on and you're on that path on time, it's gonna be really hard for you to bomb this right you, you if you follow my whole the whole path that i've given you and actually follow it to a t the least you're going to score on this is an 80 right but most of you will scar, score above a 90 right so though though all that i do in this class it might seem like busy work but really it's just insurance <laughs> to ensure that on the big assignments like this you have to be real dumb right if you're going to get below an 80 you got to really want to not want it. Yes? So before you walk into class next time, what is essentially due? What must you have in your cute little hand? Too many essays, your first two headings. Should that include a, a title page? No. Yeah. Should it include a references page? Yes. Yeah. Just to keep it, just to be safe, right? But this is what we're saving all of our best writing for. Uh, you should walk in here with you, those headings. You're sure they're 100% perfect. You're sure they're gorgeous. You sure, you're sure that for each of these ideas, as you move on to new sources, 
there's transition language. As you're introducing each of these authors, you're using annotative verbs to describe their ideas and how they communicated those ideas. Yeah? Virtually no grammatical errors. I had a kid come in. Was, of course, it was eighth period. No, it's I still love you, eighth period. But it was a kid who was like, oh, I brought it in for the peer review, and then I'll run it through Grammarly. You need to bring in your 100% perfect, and then we'll bring your 100% to my 100%. Do you understand the plan? Do we have any questions about like the way that this is gonna play out over the next week and a half? There's no surprises, right? So if you wanted to, you could say that you need to have heading one written by Saturday, or even by Friday. And then heading two, you write on Saturday or Sunday, wherever you have time there. And then you're walking down on Monday with your two headings. It shouldn't be too rough. Yeah? All right, so you have the remainder of class time to write those things. I'm here to check on stuff for you. I'm here to give you feedback if you need to. I'm pretty sure you have all the tools you need to be successful. Yes? Okay.